Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I'm your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the exponential success coach. And today I have a guest who is Axel Meyerhofer. He was born in Germany and found his way to the United States, where he served 22 years as an Air Force aviator and instructor. Uh, He he's here because actually I shared with him that it was selfish reasons. I'm learning my way around real estate and, um, and he learned real estate investing along the way. And because of his path to experience financial freedom, um, he's got some lessons for all of us. So without going into too much more, I'm going to say, uh, Axel, welcome to one sharp sword. Yeah, hi, Wayne. Thank you for having me. (laughs) It's a pleasure. So you didn't wake up one day and say, hey, I'm moving to the United States and hey, I'm going to join the Air Force. Um, That was that was something. What part of Germany did you grow up in and and how did you get here? I grew up uh, at a city called Wilhelmshaven, which is the largest deep sea port in northern Germany and was pretty well known for not very good reasons during World War II. Now it's kind of coming back big time from what I know from friends because it is the LNG harbor now for all the uh, liquefied natural gas that we get from the United States to Germany. But it's also a Navy town, (laughs) you know. So to your question about the military, I originally, um, if I don't want to go too deep and, and too much time on that, but my godfather and an uncle was uh, working for Lufthansa and helped develop Lufthansa cargo. Right, and at the time when I was little, cargo flying stuff with planes from A to B was not really a very common thing. So he was pretty early on in that. And one of the things was at the time for the older uh, listeners, there were things like airline paper that was super thin, very light paper that you could write letters on and then give to the stewardess when you left the plane and they basically airmailed it to whatever the address I remember that. (laughs) I wouldn't have thought about that. I do remember. So that was one of the things. So I, you know, from all the different really cool places around the world, I got these like super light airline paper letters with little notes. And every time he came to visit, he brought these little like, uh, um, pilot wings or little plane models and stuff and he had this uh, habit even though in our household smoking was not allowed but he was smoking pipe and so every time he came to visit for like a couple of weeks the place smelled like smoke from pipe so it was kind of like a reminder it kind of all fascinated me even to the point my mom said any contrail that we saw in the sky she said oh look there's this is Uncle Gerd flying up there <laughs> which obviously couldn't have been in every plane, but, you know, I was little at the time. So I got fascinated with flying and I always wanted to do it. And when I finally got out of school in 1981, dating myself here a little bit, um, I wanted to join the uh, Lufthansa, did the test. It's a pretty complicated process. And then they said, yeah, you did great, but we are currently not hiring anybody. 
um, because of the economy. You remember Reagan times and stuff like that, right? So actually, nowadays, people talk more about Paul Walker and, and what happened in the early 80s. <laughs> so, um, yeah, and so, yeah, I was finished with school. I was completely fixated on going to Lufthansa, and I was proud that I made it through the test, and then I couldn't actually get a job. And so I'm like, okay, what do I do now? And my mom was at the time working as a civilian in the Navy and told her boss, who was a, like an admiral or something like that, and he said, well, if he wants to fly so desperately, the Navy is flying too. So I went to a recruiting office for the Navy and said, hey, here I am. I already passed the thing for the Lufthansa uh, application. I'm pretty sure I would pass yours too. How about I want to fly? And the guy says to me, oh, that's great. We always look for people that are passionate and motivated. But I have to tell you, the first thing you have to learn is drive a boat. I'm like, no, 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 you get this wrong. I want to fly. He said, yeah, but first you have to. I said, no, that's not going to happen. He said, well, if you don't want to learn how to drive a boat, you got to go to the Air Force. <laughs> so that's how I ended up in the Air Force and went my to my training and everything. And then um, ultimately... I was stationed in, pretty close to Rammstein, you know, for any beer drinkers, Bitburger. <laughs> well, Rammstein yeah, is also... Yeah, you know, I for, know what Bitburger is. <laughs> for, so, uh, pretty famous beer. Um, and during the, the being stationed there, I learned and, and was flying a, a Tornado, which is a swing wing, wing fighter bomber aircraft. And I learned that there is an exchange program with the U.S. Air Force. And I applied a few years later after I finished all my qualifications and stuff like that and became an instructor because that was one of the requirements. And initially, I didn't think I would get it. There's a separate story I'm, I'm going to spare you. And ultimately, I got a call and was told, OK, the higher ups in the military have chosen you. And in 1995, my family and my wife, my daughter and I became over and I transition or they call it conversion training from the plane I was flying in Germany to the F-111 in the U.S. Air Force. Yeah, and then I did that all the way to the point, and this is pretty common in, in, in Western militaries at least, that your body is kind of giving out around 40 or so to do this kind of fighter jet stuff. And in my case, uh, and most other people, you get a choice. Do you want to continue to be you know, a career officer in the military or do you want to get out? And I decided, wanted to see what else I could do. And so I got out after 22 years, tried being an employee for a few years. It didn't work out. And then I started my own business. <laughs> That's great. What made you decide on real estate? Well, the business that I started was a consulting company because I knew a lot of about aviation, but also during these years as an employee, which was only for a little more than four years, I went to school, school because I was very fascinated about how does leadership work. I mean, you obviously get a little bit introduced um, when you're in the military, and I was very fortunate to, for my age, got responsibilities that were rare for that age. Um, you know, like, I mean, I was literally the international program manager for the building of a flight training center with the U.S. Air Force in New Mexico, like a hundred million dollars investment, two billion dollars of equipment being brought in 800 Germans starting to live in a, um, in a small town of Alamogordo, 25,000 people town. And I was the one that was sent to talk to the city manager and talk to the press and stuff like that. So. I never really had any training 
other than military training on how do you actually lead, right? How do you inspire, mm-hmm. how do you motivate, that kind of stuff. So I went to school for that, which also then made it very clear that I'm not a good employee. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and so that's that's basically what I wanted to do for businesses and through a couple of very strange twists and turns that are really not part of our today's conversation. I became an expert in the life science or some people call it pharmaceutical industry not from a scientific perspective, but again, managing and leading in that kind of a scientific environment. And the question came up, okay, well, if you do this, if you're now basically um, responsible for your own business, for your own income, for your own taxes, for your own success, how can you avoid that you will have that until you die? And at the time, this is about 2001 to three timeframe. If you remember, that was when the dot-com bubble burst and lots of people lots, lost lots of money in the stock market. So I thought, okay, well, investing any kind of profits in the stock market is probably not it. What else could it be? And again, a little history. That was the time when Arnold Schwarzenegger was really big on all kinds of fronts, right? And so I... I didn't deliberately pick Arnold. I was just saying, what do people who make a lot of money and obviously the ones in the the media, you kind of become a little more aware, what do they do with their money? And I found out that Arnold had become one of the biggest real estate investors in Southern California at the time. So I thought there must be something to it and looked into it and started learning and studying and yeah. Ever since been involved and ultimately nowadays, I allow people and and help people to do the same thing that I have done by giving them access to my network and all the resources and everything that I've developed. And then I take them by the hand and mentor them so that they can avoid the mistakes that I had to make and get to the to the what we call time freedom point a little faster. That's awesome. So and and that is, um, you know, what do we all want? We want freedom. And what does freedom look like? Freedom is freedom of, with money to be able to do the things we want to do, freedom of time to be able to, to do the things we want to do and to, and to have time to do them. Um, so it is it, the time freedom, the money freedom point is pretty Im- impressive. Um, what I appreciate about you, Axel, is also is that you... Um, you had foresight, you know, you were like, well, what do other people do that are, you know, if they've, if they want a good life, what do they do? And you looked ahead and, and you said, well, then, okay, let me figure that out and follow that path. Um, You know, Tony Robbins is famous for saying success leaves clues. And, um, and I'm, I like that saying, you know, success leaves clues. What do successful people do who want a certain thing? And you followed that. So that's awesome. Talk a little bit then about your business. Talk about, you know, if if someone were to connect with you, what would be, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm I'm in a place where I'm going, hmm, real estate seems like a great place to to look around and to and to begin investing, do I need a lot of money? Do I need a little money? Is it going to take away from you know the path that I have, or is it something I can incorporate into what I'm doing? 
So I would love for you to talk about that because you make it sound like, oh, this is accessible to anybody. Is it? It is fundamentally accessible to anybody. I would definitely say so. Um, if we take that scenario that you would say, okay, I, I found out about Axel and Idea Wealth Grower, they exist, but I want to figure out a little bit more. The first thing we would do is what we call a strategy call. Somebody could literally just go on the website and hang out for like about 30, 40 seconds and it pops up and says, you do you want to schedule a call? Um, and what we do in that call is, number one, uh, I introduce people to a model that is comes originally from coaching. You as a master coach may have actually heard about it. It's originally been developed by John Whitmore, and it's called the GROW model. Now, I looked at the GROW model. I really cherished the GROW model, but I felt that the GROW model as it is it, it existed really only works for the very first session which kind of sucks in coaching because as you know, as a coach, you don't want to just talk once to people. Right. So I studied it and said, okay, I want to enhance it, at least in my opinion, by making it a little bit uh, a different version. I call it the grower model, which is also very sneaky part of why we call ourselves ideal wealth growers. Right. So what is the grower model? It's basically saying, okay, in this initial conversation and every so often as we're working together is we want to look and say, what is or what are your goals? And what I try to get out is, and this goes to Brandon Bouchard, who you might know, he coined this thing called the BHAG, you know, the big, hairy, audacious goal. Yeah, that was around long before Brendan, by the way. That was actually Jim Collins uh, created it. But okay, yes, well, either one, they're, both, they're both good guys, whether it's Jim Collins, I'm a fan of uh, good to great and stuff. Yeah, well, yeah well, I, I, I was in Brendan's VIP group. And um, anyway, yes, be you yeah, want a, a big, hairy, audacious goal. And a lot of people right, don't, right. a lot of people so don't, what, what don't we do know is, what that is. Yeah, and the big, hairy, audacious goal I was just about to say is a life goal. Right. But in our case, we try to boil it down at least to a significant extent to what does that mean financially? And it's kind of related to what we just spoke about with the time freedom point, because the time freedom point is really a point on the calendar where you reach a certain level of passive income that you have set for yourself as a goal. Right. So if you go right now, Wayne, and you would say, OK, how much money do I really need every month? to pay all my bills, pay my car, pay my gas, pay my vacation, pay my mortgage or house or all the things and, you know, all the, the passions and things, you know, your Netflix and whatever kind of hobbies you have. Just add that all together and say, okay, that is the number. And the goal uh, or the time freedom point and the goal with that in that context is how can we, uh, what is that number and how can we reach it? Let's say you would figure out, okay, I need $6,000 a month, right? Then that is your time freedom number. But you might also say part of the reason I want to get there sooner rather than later because I love writing books or I love learning how to uh, become a sorcerer or whatever, sure. you know, So or both. And oftentimes when we are still in this kind of life phase where we exchange our time for money, then the things that we are passionate about might not be the ones that pay the best. Right. So that's part of like, OK, the big, hairy, audacious goal is a number from a financial perspective, but it's also the first imagination of how the life after reaching that point on the calendar will look like or should look like. I actually go as far, not in the first session, but in subsequent sessions, if appropriate, to ask people to write a letter to themselves. 
And in that letter, they're supposed to envision a scenario three to five years in the future where they're describing in a letter, almost kind of like memoir-like letter, in detail from Monday morning for two weeks, what happens throughout those two weeks in their life. And the reason I do this, I find this a fascinating exercise. I didn't invent it. Somebody uh, told me about it, and we've used it many times, is to really kind of get yourself into thinking in detail how this life would look like. You know, and so that's one thing that we do, the, the big, hairy, audacious goal. And if possible, in that first session, also talk a little bit about what might be some sub-goals. Like, for example, how quickly do you uh, aim to actually get your first property if you don't already have any? Right? For some people, they say, first, I want to learn about it, and then I'm ready to invest. You know, there's always the risk of analysis paralysis. And other people say, well, I've been studying this forever and I can't wait. I need somebody that gives me the comfort to do the investment as soon as possible. The first one, right? So that's the, the G part. Then we look at what's the current reality, you know, what's the money situation basically in a nutshell. Then we look at what kind of opportunities are we looking for and what are the things that are in the way? So opportunities and obstacles um, opportunities goes into the discussion. Are you more comfortable with something close to home? And is that feasible or further away, which I'm specializing in living in an expensive place and investing in more better performing places? Right. So uh, some people say, well, you know, I have, for example, had one client who was fascinated by the performance numbers of the investments that I showed her. But every time we looked at the external pictures of the properties, she said, oh, they're so ugly. I can't imagine owning something like that, right? So then we knew, okay, we got to find her new properties, you know, new builds that probably in a style that is more accommodating. And everybody has different priorities, so I'm not judging. I'm just telling people what, what the implications are of that. So opportunities and obstacles. Uh, and then we look at what actions can we immediately take or make some initial action plan. It sounds a little weird because it uh, sounds actions and you would say, okay, so that should actually be uh, an A, but because you want to make the word grower work, the W says, what actions will you take with, a, <laughs> with an emphasis of will you take? Um, <laughs> Right. So now we have identified what initial things maybe it is, you know, just really making a full inventory of your financial situation, including 401ks and all that kind of stuff, um, or what kind of savings you really have or what kind of expenses do you have and want to keep, which versus which ones you might, you know, like I have one client who found out that they signed up to pretty much every kind of um, um, streaming channel you can have, you know, Hulu and Disney and Apple and uh, what's the other one, Prime and uh, I don't know. They were like it goes on and on, yes, yeah, yeah. And each one is like in and of itself doesn't look like that much. And it's kind of funny because I said, "How did that happen?" And they said, "Oh, we cut the cord." I said, "Well, how much did the cord cost?" And it was like eighty nine dollars. I said, "Like you cut the cord." For $89 to be able to do $250 a month. How does that make any sense? Right. Like so anyway, so you have all these kind of different things. So with what actions will you take? And within a reasonable amount of time, some things you can do within a week or two, some things take a little longer. And here is where grow norm normally ends, what John Whitmer wrote in his book, Performance Coaching. Now we go to E because that's what we do when we get to the second uh, session, but I introduce it at least in the first session that we're discussing, and that is what are likely your experiences when you take the action? And if we do truly decide to work together, 
and we do the second session, that will be my first question. What were the experiences you had since we last spoke? And then the R for grower is what is the result of those experiences and actions that you took? And as soon as we finish discussing that, let's look real quick if any of these results impact to the extent that it would change any of the main or the sub goals. And that is then also the indication why this is a cycle, right? And it's very important to find out in this first um, conversation, what is the thing that in real estate is fascinating somebody? Some people wanna do storage units, some people wanna do syndication, some people wanna do apartment complexes. And for me, it's important for your audience and you and anybody else who might listen or hear this, that we are specializing in what I call residential real estate. So single family homes, duplex, triplex, fourplex. And the reason for that is that the US government has put a certain specific set of rules in place that are basically very similar to the rules that you would apply if you were to say, I buy myself a new house. Right? And anything that has more doors or units, some people call it, than four, so a five-unit apartment complex, a 10-unit apartment complex, gets into a totally different category of real estate called commercial residential. And just to give your audience a quick explanation, if you go and say, okay, um, I'm looking for a house that I want to buy, just a regular house as an investment. And the, the organization that sells it says, okay, we sell this house to you for $150,000. The lender, the bank will send an appraiser and will say, okay, well, what do you think this house is worth? And what this appraiser does after the visit is to say, okay, let me look at all the houses within about a one mile radius around it that are very similar to the one that Wayne wants to buy and see how much they sold for. And there might pumps. be a range between, you know, 135 to 160, and so 150 is probably a fair value, and that's what you get in your appraisal. As soon as you say, okay, now next door, there's a 10-unit apartment complex I want to buy that. It has nothing to do with what other apartment complexes sell for. It has only and exclusively to do with how much rent is this complex currently generating. And then you apply what's called a multiplier to say, okay, if it's, let's say, $100,000 a year in rent and the multiplier is five or seven, then you buy it for 500 or 700,000. And when you ask, okay, how do people make money on it is they have to make it better so it can rent for more, right? And if you can take it from 100,000 to 150,000 a year, then you can sell it with the same multiplier for about 30% more. Right. So in, in a house, you make the income through the rent and you make the income through the appreciation. But that only happens when the whole area appreciates. If your house is the only one, which can sometimes lead, you have probably heard stories where people say, oh, I renovated this thing up to the hill, marmor and gold and, and granite countertops and everything. And every house in the neighborhood doesn't have any of that. Yes, you get a little bit of credit, but if every house in the neighborhood or in the general area is 150,000 and you renovated it to 250,000, no appraiser is going to give you that, right? So that's called over-renovating. So there are limits. On the other hand, if it's almost falling apart, then you will have deductions too. Long story short on that, we want to identify in which area of real estate investing do you want to be? And does that match the area of real estate investing that I'm specializing in, which is like single family to fourplex? 
And then, you know, if we find that is good and we identified all of those things, now obviously we can't do this all in detail in the first session, but we talk about it in general as we just have here for about 20 minutes. Um, if somebody says, yeah, that's kind of the right way. That's the way I want to be in this particular area. I want to help. I want your help. I want your network, you know, the insurance companies, the lenders, the providers of the properties, the property managers, all these uh, individuals and organizations that I have developed relationships with over the last 10, 15 years. Anybody who works with us gets obviously access, not because they have to. You have totally free choice what you want to use and who you want to work with, but at least it's a good starting point. And in the end, most of the time, a good amount of these relationships get involved just because then you don't have to worry if they're going to work or not, right? And so that's what we do. And if we then decide, okay, we like each other, we like the concept, we like the approach, then, you know, somebody only, the only other decision is, do you want to do initially a six-month program or do you want to go lifetime? And if you are a little more on the cautious side, you can do six months and later upgrade if you still like it. You are listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. Wayne Purnell. You know you are bigger than the life you are leading. It really is time to attend to that thing you've wanted to do or have, but you've been putting off. It's time to step into that dream you've parked for someday. It's time to claim true well-being, both personally and professionally, without giving up the success that got you here. It's time to check out Dr. Purnell's signature small group retreat, the Exponential Success Summit. Explore ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. Seats are extremely limited as this is a very special small group event. www.ExponentialSuccessSummit.com. So uh, uh, describe this for me, because a six-month program, you're not just teaching people how to invest in real estate. You're you're helping them find the properties and yes. you're guiding them. This is good. You're, you're sort of helping them filter as well. So a six-month program is not just, uh, here's the grower. It's more like, here's the grower and let's get you in and do the grower model again and and like you choose a new goal and you and you reflect on the experiences and you do it again and again and that's how you're building wealth is you're helping uh or that's how a a client of yours would build wealth is that you help them choose a property get in at a level that they can uh feel comfortable with and build on that and build on that and so it's six months to get their feet wet, uh, maybe, and it's lifetime with you if they want to stay with you forever. Right, exactly. And and you described it very well. The thing about it is in this first six months period, what we can typically accomplish is to find a property that you as a client would agree meets the criteria that we have initially established. Right. And what I mean by that, we are not looking at properties like most people that you hear ever talk about, you know, real estate in that category by how much does it cost and, and that kind of stuff and how much can it maybe gain in value over time. We look at a performance that is the ratio between the cost that you pay to own it, to buy it, and the rent that you can make. So 
to give you an example, I mean, you mentioned that you have a property in Rosenside. If you didn't have a piece of land, but you had a house, for example, there, you would probably, even for a modest house, looking at something like six, seven hundred thousand, maybe even up to eight hundred thousand dollars in value. Now, for for living in it, it's fine. But as soon as you say, okay, now I want to look at it as an investment property for our criteria on an existing house, let's say it's a $700,000 house, you would have to make close to $7,000 in rent per month. Now, even though the area around Oceanside is pretty affluent, but nobody's going to pay you $7,000 for rent per month. Now, take that same house, let's say a three-bedroom, two-bath with a nice little garden and a garage and, and, and stuff. And you move that to, let's say, somewhere in Ohio. That house suddenly costs, let's say, 160000 And it is massively more likely <clears throat> that you find somebody who is willing to pay fifteen dollars or $1,600 a month in rent versus Oceanside, where you're lucky if you get $3,500 to $4,000. So, so that ratio... Go ahead. How, how do you find... Uh, how do you find a property that, um, you know, not everybody has uh, disposable income right now, right? So, you, you know, you find the time and you the time freedom point, and you've helped to figure out how much do you need to make. Um, and that's a huge step for so many people, because a lot of people are you know, they're at a point of, well, this is what it costs to run my, my life. How do I have extra money to invest and, and then finding the property? Because yeah, I mean, whether it's a, some grand house in a beautiful location, or whether it's a modest house in a, another beautiful location, but maybe a different part of the country where housing doesn't cost as much you i mean there's there's this sense of i know it makes sense to invest but what if what if i don't have a boatload of cash to you know to hand to you um how do we do that how do you yeah get i mean the first, the first i mean you're not handing anything to me anyway but <laughs> it goes obviously into the investment and and i'm basically i i like to um use the analogy of my role akin to the conductor of an orchestra, mm -hmm. right? Like I might not even be good enough to play in my own orchestra for any of the instruments, but the whole crew is going to sound horrible if they don't have a good conductor, right? So that's just uh, on the side. But to answer your question. No, it's a great, that's a, that's a great definition of who you are because it's not like, I mean, there are people out there where it's, you know, you give me a certain amount, I'm going to co-invest with you, I'll put up some, and now we both own this property, and then you're eventually going to buy me out. And that's, that is not what you do. You're not co-investing. You are, you are an educator along the way. You are guiding, you're, you're a coach, you guide. And right, exactly. I'm an educator, but I also use this analogy with the conductor because when you are in the process of building your orchestra, it's going to be much easier if I can already point to like two handful of people that have played in my orchestra and are willing also at least part-time play in yours. So right. you're talking about um, 
brokers that you're connected brokers, with? Uh, lenders, like you need different lenders. And, and this goes into layers and layers. You know, everything has, which I had to learn over time. Most people say, okay, I have a bank or a mortgage company and I get my mortgage when I buy a house. Okay, that's true. But if you are in a different location and there are different kinds of properties, different kinds of investments, there's also different sources of money, right? And not every source of money is the ideal source for the type of investment. So that correlation has to be made. And that's only one little example. Same thing is true for insurance, right? Insurance for like homeowners insurance, renters insurance and stuff like that. There are companies that specialize on investment properties versus privately owned or occupied properties, right? So you want to know, you want to learn um, what is the deductible that I should put in and why, all those kind of things. But fundamentally, to, to go back to your point, as I said, people don't hand me literally the money. They invest the money into the project. But I have to say, if somebody comes to me and says, okay, I live paycheck to paycheck and I want to do real estate investing, I would basically first tell them that I wouldn't charge them for that to get in any of our programs, but I would make a recommendation how they can get into what we call the accumulation, right? And you can do this with real estate and other things. Oftentimes, people are not very aware how much money they have in different pots. One of the biggest pots that people are not aware of is 401k, for example. Mm -hmm. Somebody has been an employee for quite a while. There might have been a bunch of money less now after last year than before last year, but still there could be quite a bit of money. There might be other plans that they have. They might have like a whole life insurance policy. They might have inherited something. They might have all kinds of things. So that's part of the initial uh, analysis to say, okay, what do we really have? And just to give you kind of an idea of what is the minimum kind of entry amount is somewhere around the $30,000 mark. If somebody says, okay, I need to work on getting $30,000, there's not one place where I could ultimately tap in to have that, then they should go into the accumulation phase. And I'm always happy to share how I do this or recommend to do this, which also includes real estate investing that can actually, so one of the providers we work with during the accumulation phase start with $50 a month. And we use this platform just to for people that are listening to say, why would you even do this as an investor? You have to keep in mind when we want to get to the time freedom point to your $6,000, it's not like snip the finger and oh, suddenly there are $6,000. But in the first investment, it may make you three or $400 a month. Then next year you buy the second one, it makes you another three or 400. So now you have a certain amount. And every month you commit it to putting, I hope at least like the uh, richest man in Babylon, you put 10% into your accumulation account. That may be depending on income anywhere between $800, $1,500. So let's say there are out of your first uh, first few investments plus your own contribution, something like $1,000 or $2,000. Well, we, I recommend to put them into the accumulation account that is also a real estate account and it can go in increments of $50, right? But when somebody, if, if somebody came to me and say, I don't even have enough to make the first investment, meaning like I buy the first house and keep in mind, we are always aiming initially to buy properties with 20% down, 80% from the bank, right? So if you take $150,000 house, it's 30,000 of your own money and the rest is from the bank, right? And so 
Um, if that is not there, then we would have to find out what can we do to get there. But I wouldn't charge anybody for my mentoring if you're not ready to at least make the minimum investment into your first property. So anybody can call you and say, where am I in my process? Right. Which is so great. It's very generous of you. And if you start with a $150,000 home that you're after, mm-hmm. the the 20% down, this is where the $30,000 number comes from. That right. if you're looking at the standard, that $30,000 is 20% of $150,000. And, and that uh, the bank will finance the rest. And it's a great way to start at a $150,000 home. Um, and the other piece that you didn't mention is, you know, you were saying, look, if you get in and you're only able to, you know, make maybe $300 a month as revenue, that's still $3,600 a year. Right. And And it's, and, and that is not revenue. That's passive income passive income of you know here's an extra three thousand six hundred dollars here you go it's like that's that's not a bad start you know no that's actually i mean if you go back and i always like to point this out on our thirty thousand dollars investment that's twelve percent right because obviously we are we're looking at how much does my money make not the bank's money right Part of the reason why I am actually uh, focusing and really have gone in depth over the years in this residential real estate area is, for me, it's still crazy as a person originally from Germany, that there is a case where somebody says, I give you 80% of the money, but you can keep 100% of the profit. That's a Say that again, because that was magical. But think about it. I mean, you buy a $150,000 house, you only put $30,000 in. You make 12% on the passive income from the rent. Now, let's just say that house in that year, in the first year after you collected your 3600 in I mean, you're collecting obviously more, but that's what's left over after everything else is paid. Let's say that that property is not a super, super home run. It increased in value by 3%. Not a home run by any means, but that's $4,500. So now you have $3,600 and $4,500. That's for all intents and purposes $10,000. So now you're at a return on your $30,000 of almost 30%. Yes. And we have not talked about that you're also going to depreciate this property with your CPA or tax advisor over 27 and a half years. So that's about another $2,000. If you, let's say, you are in a tax bracket for 30%, that's another $700. Right. So you're probably going to get somewhere in the 30% area on your own $30,000 that you put in there. And that is not, you know, calculating yourself rich. I think 3% appreciation on a property is really modest. And making $300, having $300 a month left over from somebody paying you $1,500 a month in rent, it's modest, right? And you paid everything. You paid insurance, you paid property management, you paid property taxes, you paid the mortgage. And then you have your $300 left. So all this is very logical, very structured, very clean. And But as soon as you were to go in an area where the house is two or three times as expensive, that whole calculation doesn't work so well anymore. That's why I'm always saying the biggest important thing to learn in residential real estate investing is to look for performance. Not for pretty, not for how much 
could uh, could I buy it for? But what's the ratio between how much you pay and how much rent you can make? Cool. I want to give a, a a little kind of disclaimer that obviously I'm not a tax advisor. You're not a tax advisor. Right. Right. You and have, not an investment. Right. Yeah. You have you have you have people that you work with. You advise people to go to their own tax advisors, and also you know joining you is no guarantee of an increased income, but based on your experience and based on your uh, based on your past success, it's you know people are, are can feel comfortable with you. So yeah, there's exactly. never a guarantee in getting in. You know the the market goes up and down. The housing market goes up and down. The lending goes up and down. So it's while it's not predictable or necessarily stable it's real estate there's a finite space for real estate which which makes it kind of an interesting place to invest yeah i mean there are a couple of things that i, I would love to mention if you don't mind um Please. you will if you study people that have done real estate investing almost regardless of which of the categories and there are many 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 and we are only playing in one Almost everybody you will find talking about what makes something successful in this context is to do the right thing at the beginning of the deal. If you spend the time to look for the right ratio of performance in the deal, and you have to keep in mind what I mean by that is if you want to get your $300 that we mentioned before in an environment where the interest rate on the mortgage is 8%, when this phase is behind us, which will happen sometime in the future, and you refi that property back down to 4.5%, it immediately jumps without any changes to the house or to the tenant or anything to probably $500. Yeah. Right. So if your property performs on the first day when you own it, it will pretty much almost guaranteed perform for the rest of its life. Now, the other thing I want to point out in this context real quick, because you mentioned and we talked about the time freedom point. That sometimes comes across like it's a goal that we want to achieve and then we have a glorious celebration, which we should have anyway. But it is a milestone. Yes. It's not an end point. So I often say, okay, we go to your, to your uh, $6,000 that we said earlier. If we wanted to just make a very easy calculation and say you could somehow find properties that make each $500 a month in, in passive income, then you would know if I wanted to get 6000 I need 12 of those. Right? Now, this is assuming that you would buy the first one and the last one, and in between, you never increase rent, which is not really true. So. In the reality, you probably don't need 12. You probably only need like 10. But let's just say you need a 10 and you get to buy one every year. In 10 years, you have your 10 and you're getting your $6,000. Probably so, a little more. So let me, let me pause you there because I think it's really important just conceptually. You know, when, when people in general look at these giant goals, they go, how do I own 10 properties? You know, good, I don't need 12. How do I own 10? It's like you start with one, right? You start with one, and and that is that is so important that it's like you take some action, and it goes back to the grower model. You take some action. Will you take action um, to to even explore this? Will you take action to 
you know, step in and, and buy your first as a, as, as a pathway to your 10th, to your 12th, to your 20th, you know? Yeah, so- exactly. That's extremely important. And I mean, I can say on experience with several clients, there's a certain addictive quality to the whole thing, because <laughs> as soon as you start seeing it work, people, you know, I've had cases where they say, well, I think I could save some money on my food expenses. I'm like, you know, what are you planning? Oh, well, you know, ramen is really, you know, like that's a little extreme, you know? So, but <laughs> but yeah, no, you're right. I mean, people sometimes forget, right? Like, so let's say you had the third property. Each week we mentioned each makes $500. It's $1,500 plus your own contribution. Let's say you also do $1,500. So that's $3,000 a month. Every 10 months, you could buy another one of those houses because you have another $30,000. Right. Sometimes it feels like how how could I have thirty thousand every year to invest? Well, yeah. it's not just your own money that you put in, but also the money that your investments generate that you normally have no reason to consume. Right. Thank so you. you invest that obviously back into it. But what I was getting to with the time freedom point is we're doing the whole thing. On the one hand, if you had said, okay, I weigh in one six thousand dollars as soon as possible, and we get to this point when you get the six thousand dollars, but the overall big picture. And why we call it the big, hairy, audacious goal is really the longer-term legacy. Because, yes, you reach that point when the 6000 comes in the first time as your passive income. But if you say, okay, well, let's just stick with our example to say that it took you 10 years to get there. What's happening for the rest of your life? You have 10 properties. Obviously, you could say, I don't need to add any more. But you will for sure increase the rent if, if, if for nothing else than inflation. And guess what? What also is forgotten? At some point, not after 10 years, but in the future after the time freedom point, your first house will get to the point where your tenants paid it off for you. Right. Now you don't have a mortgage anymore that costs out of the $1,500, the mortgage at today's rates probably costs you somewhere in the area of eight to $900. That's an additional cash flow. So at the day, like let's say in, in year 20, and I know this is hard to imagine that far in the future, but in year 20, when you're making like 7,000 a month and suddenly it's 8,000 a month because a house got paid off. And then next year, another one gets paid off. And two years later, another one gets. So the number that you will have for your life, the older you get, gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And from a legacy perspective, let's say we had 10 properties, by the time that you say, okay, I go over the rainbow bridge, you probably have a $5 million portfolio that you can handle over through your um, um, family trust to the next generation, right? So that's yeah. part of it that is, you know, I want to just point out, we're not just striving to get to the time freedom point to get to this number and then can live our passion. The bigger picture is we do this for the rest of our life and our kids so that whatever crazy governments, crazy industries, crazy economies, crazy Federal Reserves do in the future, they will never really be threatened to lose their livelihood or, or have any kind of hard time um, to survive. That, that, I think, is an important additional aspect of it. It's not just to satisfy your passive income goals so you can live your passion, but it's doing something for the big picture of your family and the next generation. I think that's huge. You know, um, it took me personally a really long time to figure out what legacy was going to look like and um you know it's like so do i invest do i you know i'm just struggling to get by and what is it going to look like and how do i do this and then and then just to have this vision not of what it's going to look like but what do i want want it to look like 
Right. And then to start taking the action to make it look like that. And that's the whole thing. What do you want your, what do you want your future to look like? What do you want your future for your kids or your kids' kids or, you know, any other family member, or if you're not having kids, um, uh, you know, maybe there's an organization that you want to support for years to come. So what legacy do you want to build and leave to others so that they go, wow, that was, you know, what you built was really special. And and you get to have a, a reasonable life along the way too, which is cool. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. And and part of that is, you know, we we started out, and I think this is probably also a good closing capstone to say if you if you look at the people that have a lot of followers, the reason, in my opinion, why they have followers is because it's much easier when you hook up with somebody. You mentioned Tony Robbins, right? Like if if he does one of his things and and he says okay i want you to run over the 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 hot coals (laughs) you know that he himself has run over the hot coals a hundred million times and never burned himself so it's a little different than when somebody says okay you're the first one nobody knows what happens you run now first right right and that's basically what i'm saying i'm not telling anybody exactly what to buy or what to invest in but i'm there in the same sense, I've built my portfolio. I have all the properties. I show all the properties, all the relationships, everything, and offer people to say, I have gone down this path to this time, freedom point and beyond. So you can replicate. Yes. Instead of having to develop and invent it yourself. Yes, we need to constantly update it. Things change a little bit. But all the things that helped me to get there are going to be shared with you, which makes your likelihood of success way higher than mine was. That's awesome. I know that you're offering the audience a uh, a mindset manual around that. How to how to you know start uh, goal setting right away, and that's I'm going to say it. It's at idealwealthgrower.com. A lot of times. A lot of times we get so used to saying our own our own name that it gets thrown away. Yeah. Ideal wealth grower. It's like, what did you say? Yeah, ideal yeah, yeah, exactly. Idealwealthgrower.com. And then you you do the forward slash free. And that's where we can find the the mindset manual. And also, you know, looking around ideal wealth grower, you know, you'll learn a few things and you'll learn, you know, what what Axel and his company is all about. So I no, thank you for mentioning that, Wayne. I mean, the, the big thing just for the audience to, to have an idea why I did this and why it might benefit them is I have found that a lot of people that initially have these conversations that we touched on earlier, when we just talk and openly and frankly, they kind of come to realize or they admit to themselves that somehow they are the victim of the environment, or at least that's what they believe. And what I am trying to basically do in parallel to all the investing stuff is for them to transition and realization that they are the creator of their own future. Very good. And, and, and so Very that's good. basically what the mindset manual help you, helps you to do is first do an inventory to say, where am I on that spectrum between victim and creator? And then what can I do through some exercises to get on the path to a creative mindset? And then there, at the third part, there's a little story of somebody who thought he needed to be an accountant and ultimately found out that he wanted to be a chef. That's awesome. So you're helping people along the way 
actually yeah. uh, uncover their passion as well, which is cool. Well, it is, you know, but because what we're really building, we mentioned very briefly legacy, but what we're really building is that you become the CEO of your investment portfolio, right? Yeah. With all the fixings with like a, um, a, a trust and, an, and a company that operates uh, where all the rents come in and stuff like that, the mortgages are paid from, each of the properties is held in a land trust and all that whole structural thing that needs to be under underneath so that you are also legally protected. And part of that can only happen when you say, okay, I'm not being told what to do. I'm not in an employee relationship. It's my company. It's my investing portfolio. This is my group of properties, my insurance, my tenants, the people that work for me, you know, insurance people, bank people, property management people, this is truly in the sense you are the CEO or you are the founder of this business and you have this whole staff. Yeah, they're not employees, but you contract with all of these to make it successful and to do that. And you know this in your own business, Wayne. Yes. To be able to do this, there is a learning curve of really realizing, okay, I'm in charge. I'm it's, it starts you know. with It starts with, I don't know everything. Right. And... and it might be scary to be in charge, not knowing everything. I can learn it. And and that's where really where you come in is you go, you can learn it. I'm teaching you to be the CEO of your business and your life. Here you yeah. go. And, and that's yeah, and that's that's kind of like the yin and yang, right? Like the one I call that the mechanical stuff is all the things related to the actual investments and the mindset stuff is what you need basically to have a solid foundation that you can grow and build and and really be confident in it so that ultimately when in a few years down the road, somebody says, hey, Wayne or Axel or whatever your name might be, what are you doing? You can say, I have a company that has investments that will secure my fam family forever. That's awesome. On that note, I'm going to say thank you, Axel. That was amazing. Axel Meyerhofer, uh, idealwealthgrower.com slash free. Check out Axel's stuff. Axel, thank you so much for being here. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. All righty. This is One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. My guest today, Axel Meyerhofer, and just uh, some thought-provoking great ideas about, about owning your life and, and yeah. setting up a legacy. So... Please check out his stuff. And this is, as I said, One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. We will see you here again next time. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor.